Coming to you from the kingdom of Marion. This is the Ernest Mann Show, and I'm your host, Ernest Mann. Wherever you may be listening in this world. And this is episode number 75. Re-examining 1950s America. Ladies, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I had deliberated on what exactly it was that I wanted to uh, talk to you about in this episode. And um, initially, it was going to be about the idiot, um, otherwise known as Clarence Thomas, on the Supreme Court. But we're not going to talk about that. I decided on something much more controversial and explosive. Now, I fully realize that what I'm about to say may in fact be just that. But that's why you listen, because I don't talk about the easy stuff and I don't placate and I don't basically want to pander to whatever is uh, prevalent I want to mix things up and challenge things and, you know, get our minds moving. And so, I fully realize that this may be considered offensive to many people out there. But, regardless, what uh, I feel needs to be said, needs to be said. And so, well, I'm going to say it. When I was a young guy, there was, um, of course, 30-some years ago, to say that it was a different world is, well, perhaps an understatement. If we just look at the um advances in technology and the of course the internet itself but as far as roles were concerned um what uh, has been commonly called um traditionalist roles and whatnot they were still you know pretty solid pretty much entrenched and i guess because of that Well, that's the mindset that I am coming from. This is not to say that I don't take or try to take all the other factors into account. But just because of technology, that doesn't mean that our very nature as human beings has changed. It hasn't. And so, the things that were relevant um, for, well, ever, are still, and or at least should be, very relevant. So, to move this right along, let me just give you uh, some personal information. 
about myself. Oh, I came up and grew up in the uh, mid-70s and 80s. And where I grew up in that area, it was what you might call middle class. Um, I grew up in a, again, what would be called or might be labeled as a traditionalist setting. My mom was a stay-at-home, work-at-home mom. And my dad, um, he was, well, he actually did several things, but for the most part, he worked um, in the steel industry as a worker. And he was a union member. And so that's basically what it was, as were the majority of people that lived where I did. So that was pretty much it. And um, we weren't by any means rich. Um... And I have changed quite a bit in my political leanings over the years. But suffice to say, we were solidly Democrat. And if you look at the, at least what the tenets were at that time where I lived, um, I pretty much still subscribe to that mode of thinking. Now, I realize that many of you who may be much, much younger, perhaps very young, you don't, you don't know anything about this because, well, you weren't alive. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, you know, that is what it is. But I'm giving you a perspective from the point of view of what I experienced and what I know works because a great deal of the the nonsense the uh, dilapidation of society um, the winding down the spiraling down the degradation, that didn't exist. I'm not saying by a long shot that I was shielded from badness. I, it was far from it. Life was hard. And it was what it was. But it, nothing, I mean, it, it pales in comparison to what you young folks have to deal with today. Christ, we're talking about human beings, for instance, who can't even identify with their own sex. Um, as far as rampant homelessness is concerned, we didn't have it. We didn't have it. We had some local tramps, some bums, 
And we knew them a handful on a first-name basis. And sometimes, you know, we gave them food. We cooked them food. Some people even, you know, had them in their home. Um, but by and large, these people, for various reasons, they chose to live the life that they lived and were on the streets. Um, they chose to be hobos. I mean, and hey, that's their choice. But um, we're not we're not talking about absolutely downtrodden, drug-addicted people with absolutely no identity and no absolutely no hope and all that, and living in tents everywhere. We didn't have that shit. We didn't have it. Imagine that. Try to, we didn't have it. For the most part, I'm not saying 100%. I'm saying for the most part, these folks were the way they were by choice. So, hey, a hobo wants to be a hobo. There you go. But um, it's, it's, it's a world that it's, it would be hard for perhaps young people to even believe or understand. Um, so, if uh, by and large, what was just ge- generally understood, I'm talking the early mid-70s, generally understood if you were out on the streets, for instance, for one reason or another, or perhaps a few reasons, you were there by choice. It wasn't because you couldn't get a good-paying job and, you know, do what you needed to do with family or or otherwise. It was a choice. And so, on the other hand, um, you know, we knew what was, uh, what's the term they used? Ancient, old, this isn't allowed in the woke vocabulary. Bums! Yeah, that was it. They were bums. And they referred to themselves as bums. I'm a bum. Okay, well, there you have it. There it is. So, if you um, understand that, and you understand that um, this was um, a very different situation, and it is certainly, again, simultaneously simple and complex. Most of the people I grew up around, and I didn't live in the suburbs, I grew up in the city. Matter of fact, I grew up in a very hardish part of the city. So I didn't have this 
idyllic life and separated and isolated in the suburbs. We didn't. We lived in the city, but we kept the sidewalks clean and we kept our little space that we had clean. And I'm not trying to paint this as though it was some sort of perfect nirvana because it wasn't. Because there are all different kinds and types of people. But generally speaking, in the neighborhood, um, you pretty much figured out who were the self-determined trash and who were people that, for whatever reason, um, they chose to live the life that they lived, but there were others that were simply down on their luck, but they were willing and able to get their ass out of that as soon as the opportunity came. So, that is something that I can't emphasize enough. It's a difference in attitude. So, most of the women, vast majority of the women, they had usually, typically, families, kids, raising kids. So, it is that old, it was that old hangover of um, man goes to work, man provides, and she was the homemaker. And that was my mom. Nobody is perfect. There is not an expectation of perfectness. There was not with me or the people at that time. And so, life pretty much was, you know, there was dad and there was immediate family, and they worked their jobs. And most of those jobs um, actually paid well, relatively speaking. And they were union jobs. And unfortunately, many of those people uh, squandered a lot of their earnings the smart ones did the right things, made the right moves, didn't go to um, places to bet money on uh, gambling or horses. or They weren't just blowing their money willy-nilly. Um, they had a plan. And their plan, their idea of happiness was to escape the city to the suburbs. And okay, it is what it is. And so, you know, a lot of them, they chose to do that. We didn't. We embraced what we had. And so, um, because of that, I lived and grew up and experienced the life that I did. And I can tell you, first and foremost, that there was not, there was not amongst 
virtually any of those people a sense of victimhood. The difference, the huge difference, was that if they were in the situation that they were in in their lives, they fessed up and they understood it. If they were a fuck-up, they were a fuck-up. They chose to be a fuck-up. They chose to lead a squalid life or to blow all their money or to uh, spend their money on drugs. And, of course, there were drugs then, perhaps different drugs, but there was drugs, plenty of booze, lots of bars, and they made their choices. They did what they did. And then, you know, they had to accept the reality of that. Now, conversely, all these years later, 40 years later, it's completely different. And that moves me to a scene at a big box home center. And I don't think I'll get into much trouble for this. It's Home Depot. And what I want to tell you is that when I had to go in there to get what I needed, and I have, I have seen this many times, it's not, it wasn't a fluke, it was, well, pretty normal, that at the uh, customer service area, all the people working there were women. Now, of course, there were a lot of guys working in the store, out on the floor, different departments, but there were also a lot of women. And I saw this, um, and, and I just want to, again, reiterate that this is something I have seen many times. There was this woman, young woman, and she was, you know, she was an attractive woman, but she, um, needless to say, was um, operating a pallet jack. And I know that this is instantaneously going to trigger thoughts you may have, but just please bear with me. And uh, there was a huge pallet of whatever it was. And so she took the pallet jack and she rammed that pallet jack in there. And then she pumped up the pallet jack and she started moving it wherever it was she needed to move it. And it's like, okay, I get it. You can do that. But here's the thing. After you do this for, I don't know, weeks, months, how are your hands? How do your hands feel? Because this would seem to me to go against anything that is, um, well, feminine. You know why? Because you do that long enough, and I did this myself. 
you get calluses, your hands get hard. Your hands get hard and calloused. And I thought the flash that came into my mind was that, really? That's what you signed on for with your life, if you think about this? I know. I know. It's a man's work, but hey, I can do it. Anything a man can do, I can do. Well, maybe. But my thought is, my idea here is, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Because if you think about the bizarre dichotomy here that exists, written by people, and I'm going to get to that in a moment, this is written by people who they themselves probably didn't do any of this kind of work in their entire lives. And I would like to think that there is a natural um, longing being inside of us as humans that if we are masculine as men or feminine as women, that we like that. We're comfortable with that. We're good with that. And that there is, or at least in my opinion, should be, a natural aversion to something which is trying to make us into something else. So, I looked at her and I watched her and I watched her do her work. And look, I understand. I'm not talking about the particulars of her life because I absolutely didn't know her and I understand that we all, you know, we need we need an income, we need to work, we need to support our families. But come on, hun. Really? Operating a pallet jack week in and week out, month in and month out, and your hands are bound to get calloused. That's that's liberation. And um, it's, um, it's really sad because in, in the most simplistic terms, on a very natural level, I don't care how attractive the overall picture of a woman is. I see her do that and, and doing that. It's not a turn on. It's a turn off. And um, makes me wonder to um, bring this back to this I know this evil, terrible, evil thing of the 1950s. But um, if there is an internal longing, a need to be feminine, isn't that somewhere innately inside of you? 
Yeah, you can operate that pallet jack. Do you really want to? So, <clears throat> that's um, all across this nation. And for all I know, I guess, I suppose, the rest of the world. But this thing, and this took off in the um, late 70s, which I would refer to as what eventually became. There are four phases of feminism. And I have no problem whatsoever with first and second wave feminism. It changed with third and fourth wave. It, it boggles my mind that smart folks like you have not considered, and I'm talking to you ladies, that uh, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And all of this complaining and bitching and moaning about the patriarchy and men and what do you what's your solution to become like men sorry that doesn't really make sense all the injustices anything that's wrong yeah if you got you know, com you know, complaints, fine, sure, I don't have a problem with that. But the answer is not to, in turn, become man-haters and to become like men. Now, um, I'm saying this in conjunction with another experience that I had just recently, I was in a supermarket and, you know, generally speaking, most of the time you have just a normal experience, men and women, people getting groceries and whatnot. But this, this day, this one time was different in a huge way. And I'm telling you this in the way that it affected me. There was a woman, I'm guessing probably mid-twenties, attractive, but it wasn't just her, her face and such. It wasn't that, or her general body it wasn't that. It was that I, I didn't ask her this. It was none of my business. I didn't ask her that. It was a fluke. It was it was something completely out of the ordinary. But she was standing, she was like um, two or three aisles away, and I noticed her. And I know, also noticed the effect that it had on me, because as soon as I looked at her, it was like, it was like the sun came out everything was this just this 
dark, you know, just this mundane of of um, mediocrity, let's say, with everyone else, but not her. I don't know if it. I I don't know. I don't know if that was her her way, her thing. I don't know if she was an actress in a play. I don't know. I didn't ask her that. All I know is that she was absolutely feminine. She had a really pretty uh, flower in her hair. And she was wearing an outfit very reminiscent of a 1950s. It was a small hoop skirt. She stuck out. She stuck out. (laughs) I mean, she really stuck out. And, you know, those long lines, and I I just, I couldn't help myself. I had to because it, she was pretty, and she was, and I, I haven't seen that level. I haven't seen pretty in so long. And I actually went over to her, and I just wanted to tell her that I thought, no come on or anything like that. I just wanted to tell her that she was a credit to her gender, that she looked really, really pretty, and it was so nice to see a woman again. And she looked at me, and you know, she didn't know how to respond, and what could she, you know, she just said, you know, thank you, and I said, take it for what it's worth. I it's not a come on. I just said, you, you you utterly look beautiful and fantastic. And I left it at that. So, there are, there are, are alternatives to this life we are living. And, I could go on about the causalities of this. All I can do is just give you an extremely topical um, explanation. Um, In the late 60s, again, early 70s, when uh, third-gen feminism was taking off, it was um, writers... um, Feminist, uh, the main one that comes to mind, for instance, is Andrea Dworkin. And uh, these people clearly hated men. And see, she certainly did. As a matter of fact, um, one of her prized uh, illustrations from an article that she had written was a troupe of very... Auschwitz-style chained, emaciated males were bound, uh, heading back into prison or whatever it was. And it was, uh, I can't precisely remember, but it was something to the effect of, uh, you know, this this should be the fate of all men. And um, there were... There were several people like her. 
Um, and um, these are these were, and perhaps those still around are some very sick, twisted individuals, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I mean, um, well, she has certainly passed, but um, and Rand, I don't think would ever be accused of uh, winning a beauty contest anytime soon. But um, what you had is a group of women um, who were writers um, who had somehow um, gotten through the extremely liberal policies of the 60s, had gotten into positions of power in universities, and they wanted to prescribe to you the evils of men and the patriarchy and so forth and all that. And that's, that's where this really took off. But here's the thing. While they were so entranced and making the folks, the other women, um, to uh, be hateful and dissatisfied and unhappy. They themselves were part of the academia. They had money, a lot of money, and they wanted more money by writing books of this ilk, let's say. So every benefit was to them it was not, in reality, to the benefit of regular, normal women. A lot of this tripe that they were putting out that became very fashionable, it was, again, because of the realities of living life, it was in no way really connected or should have been connected with the lives of ordinary women. So that's history, but I'm just trying to, in a, in a very condensed manner, try to explain where this shit all started. And, um, well, fast forward 40 years later. So, am I going to sit here and say, oh, everything was so picture perfect, especially for women, in the 1950s? No. Of course not. And we're, again, going back personally... Um, you know, families aren't perfect, people aren't perfect, and there were women who were abused, and they went through hell, because even though, for instance, their husbands made really good money, and they were the sole providers for the family, they were dysfunctional assholes, and could be very abusive. And, unfortunately, a lot of women 
didn't have the resources that were needed to get out of that. Because, again, because of the, um, there was a prevailing attitude, which is, can be a double-edged sword, which says, hey, you made your choices, you made your decision. Basically, you made your bed, you lie in it. And it was very, it could be very hard and very unforgiving. And so those women that could, that could have the support that they needed, especially, particularly if they had children in tow, which makes it a hundred times harder to escape such a situation. It was extremely difficult. Not denying that at all. But I'm telling you, at least in my experience, yeah, there there were a few, but I mean very few. And the reasons, there were multiple reasons. So the reasons, one of them, was simply this. If you were a man and you were like that, not only were you ostracized in the community, but quite literally, you could end up with a great deal of bodily harm because... Anything from friends and family, you know, if you were a physically abusive asshole who just wanted to, even though you may have made good money, you at the same time, uh, payday came and, you know, she didn't get that because you were blowing money on drinking, gambling, or, you know, prostitutes, whatever the case may be, um, there were self-corrective measures within the community. Those guys, they didn't, uh, they didn't live very well. Sometimes they didn't live well at all or long. So, I miss women. I miss women who were feminine and pretty and put flowers in their hairs and were nice and and friendly and did not think it was demeaning or such to be a homemaker because that's what my mom was her whole life. And I absolutely, positively respected and loved my mom. And as far as I was concerned, I was a bit difficult, especially hitting my uh, puberty. (laughs) But she was a strong woman. She came from that generation and without going into uh, anything very long about this, a a catchphrase that was very popular back then, uh, this thing of, you wait till you're, uh, you you know, you've been been an asshole. You've been an, you've just been a pain in the ass all day for her to deal with. And you wait till your father gets home. There was none of that. 
<laughs> there was none of that. She dealt with you directly. And it was only, in my memory, there was only twice that um, I had to deal with her wrath, and it was very unpleasant, and I deserved every damn moment of it. And then, in addition to that, when my dad found out that I, you know, because I was... You know, this was a, you're hitting the change, the puberty thing, and and you want to be boss, and you want to, uh-uh. So that was a double whammy. This was before, for, for, before every, every absolute concern for child welfare, because that went completely crazy in the opposite direction. I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. I'm saying it went, the pendulum swung the other way. And so, my God, you can't even, you can't even verbally correct a child or here comes child protective services from the state. Dun, dun, dun. There was none of that shit. Only twice. And then the double whammy from my dad, and yeah. I woke up real fast. <laughs> and there was no more problems. You you know, basically I got at that age where, you know, you get there, you get around 17 or whatnot, and well, you get your own place and your own job and your own this and you want to live your own life, and guess what? This isn't good enough. There's the door. So, this could, as I said, you, you can tell where this is going, but or hopefully you can, but um, it's just all of these factors, all of these things, especially and particularly the governmental involvement in parenting and child rearing um, and parental authority. To some of you out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so, I want to move it on to a uh, short and sweet, hopefully, Solution, or at least one of the many possible solutions, because we're we're going to need, you know, this has been going on, this has been brewing for 30, 40 years. It's not just one simple thing, we do this and it's a fix. We need a concerted, multi-pronged effort to try to bring things back to some semblance of normality, let's say. Um, so here's what I propose. Now, I'm going to say this, and I know there's going to be a whole heaping hell a lot of you out there that are going to say, oh my God, this man is a 
dinosaur. How old is this? This would never work. Oh no, it's impossible. And here's what I'm trying to say is that sociologically speaking, there were so many things that were so, so much better at that time period throughout the 50s. I am not saying it was perfect. I'm talking about better. Better in, for instance, here it comes. I can hear it. Um, not homeless encampments, uh, 10,000 to a block. And people, humans, that had enough intelligence and identification to actually know their own sex and what that meant. Okay. Anyway, this is obviously an entire can of worms. Um, so I'll just move on to the socioeconomic aspect of this. What can we do? At least one of the things that can be done. How about this? Ladies, you don't have to work for Home Depot or any other manly man kind of shit. You don't have to be trudging around with pallet jacks and all that. You just stay home. Stay home. Be a homemaker. And take care of the kids. And get involved in their education. That is a huge job. And you bypass the whole problem of babysitters and child care and all that when you're away working your separate job. Uh, we try to bring this back to some kind of sanity. So I'm not saying all. I'm not, and I'm not wanting to remove choice. I'm just saying that we offer the opportunity that if you choose that you can do that and that we increase a standard wage for men of at least $30 an hour because instead of this nonsense of it having to take two people just to keep a household going, this is at a bare minimum, a minimum of each of them making like say 15 bucks an hour, why don't we combine it? Let's make it simple. And there's a hell of a lot of money that would be saved on the child rearing part of this equation. That the man is the primary worker, earner, and we try, I mean, I say try. We've got to try because we have to try something that we, historically, that we know that did work, that was working. And I don't, I don't want to hear all of the reasons 
not saying I'm not willing to, but what I'm saying is the defeat is saying, oh my God, you're saying going back to the 50s. Oh, that's impossible. Oh my God, you're a dinosaur. You have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, it's just so infinitely complex and that world is gone. And no, horseshit, it, it's not. It's because a group of people are profiting from this division especially the division of labor. They're not going to say anything, or if they say anything at all, they're going to have every reason in the world why it couldn't possibly work. I'm telling you it can work. As a matter of fact, I'll go one step behind that, or ahead of that, and I'll say, it's what must be done. Because... Obviously, what we've done in the last 30, 40 years is not working. Before I close out, um, before I close out, I just want to tell you that many, many years ago, way back then, there was a cigarette ad. I... I have no clue if even those cigarettes are still around, but it was it was geared and marketed to women. It was Virginia Slims and their whole uh, campaign, and this this was for several years. They tied into what was socially politically expedient then with the "I am women, hear me roar" thing. It, it was very very popular. And uh, so they, they, they very cleverly, as a means of manipulation, they tied their entire marketing campaign for, of all things, fucking cigarettes. <laughs> Virginia Slims, they said um, it would show little TV ads and whatnot of, of women uh, being, you know, in, uh, say, in business or, you know, just non-traditional roles. That was their motif, if you want to call it that. And their catchphrase was, you've come a long way, baby. If some of you out there listening to this, you may be old enough to remember that. It may ring a bell. But that was their thing. And... Uh, I just wanted to finish by saying that uh, when I saw this young young gal very enthusiast enthusiastically ramming that pallet jack through the pallet because she's a good worker and just rapid fire and she rammed that through there and she's she's pumping that pallet and I just looked and I thought to myself, wow, you've come a long way, baby. Hello again, and thanks for listening. By all means, please do leave a comment, because not only do I want to know what you thought about this episode, but so does the rest of the world. And here, your opinion really matters. Until next time, I am Ernest Mann, and I am out of here.